Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. I'm Steve Letarte, STP auto expert and former crew chief. I know what it takes to keep engines performing at their best. STP's latest breakthrough additive, STP Ultra 5-in-1 plus Fuel System Cleaner plus Fuel Stabilizer, delivers three times the amount of cleaning agents versus premium gasoline and helps keep fuel fresh during storage. For over 60 years, STP has been on the cutting edge developing products to help engines run better, longer. One bottle contains three times by weight the amount of cleaning agents compared to 20 gallons of the leading premium gasoline. Greetings. Welcome to the NASCAR NBC podcast. I'm your host, Nate Ryan. Our guest is David Wilson of Toyota Racing Development. Dave, or David if you prefer, we get right to that at the top, has been the president and general manager of Toyota Racing Development for a little more than three years, and life has been very good lately on the track for TRD. Last week, Kyle Busch delivered the second consecutive victory for Joe Gibbs Racing and Toyota at Indianapolis Motor Speedway in the Brickyard. Last year, Bush and Joe Gibbs Racing also won the first Sprint Cup championship for Toyota, which also opened the 2016 season with its first Daytona 500 win, courtesy of Denny Hamlin. The playoffs still are more than a month away, but there is no doubt that Toyota, with the four Gibbs Camrys and the Furniture Row Racing Team of Martin Truex Jr., has five legitimate title contenders. Toyota's setup is fairly unique. They operate on both coasts of the United States. They have their engine building facilities and headquarters in Costa Mesa in Southern California. They have a vehicle dynamic shop in Salisbury, North Carolina, just north of Charlotte, which is where virtually all of the NASCAR teams are located. And they managed to make all of that work despite the logistics fairly seamlessly. So Dave and I got into how the manufacturer does that, as well as a little of Dave's personal history the significance of the movie Lost in Translation in his life, I think you'll enjoy that, and his views on how auto racing can stay relevant with youth in the 21st century. I think you'll enjoy this conversation. Dave is one of my favorite people to talk with in the garage. He's among the brightest guys in NASCAR and also among the most eloquent interviews. I always learn something new from talking to Dave, and I hope you will too. As always, we appreciate you listening. If you're an iTunes fan, please leave a rating or review, or please subscribe or have your friends subscribe. That really helps us out. There also are uh, many options for finding us. Audio Boom, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify. We generally have episodes every Wednesday. If you are subscribed on iTunes or elsewhere, you won't miss an episode. And also a reminder that NBC Sports is back in the full swing of broadcasting NASCAR race weekends. That includes Xfinity and Sprint Cup practices, qualifying, and races, including this weekend at Pocono Raceway and Iowa Speedway. Please check the NBC Sports website for listings about where to find TV information 
or you always can stream it via the NBC Sports app. Download that to your tablet or smartphone or watch on your laptop. You also can catch NASCAR America on weekdays at 6 p.m. on NBCSN, and please check NBCSports.com NASCAR for all the daily analysis and news that you seek. So now, let's get started with David Wilson. Thanks for being here. Uh, we're we're going to start this with a very important question that I've never gotten answered in like the eight years I've known you, and I've always been leery to ask because uh, I'm never quite sure like when the right time to ask this is. Is it? Do you prefer David or Dave? I don't. <laughs> I honestly don't have a preference. Okay. Uh, my wife calls me Dave. Okay. All right. I feel um, better then than the times I've called you Dave. Then. Yeah. It's, it's <laughs> I feel like awful. some people call you Dave, but other yeah. people call you David. Yeah, that's and true. And I'm always afraid because like that's that's sort of a thing for people named David that like there's a level of formality there that. No. Other than my mother who named me, you know, she prefers David. Okay. <laughs> that's uh. All right. It's all good though. Okay. All right. Well, that that makes me feel better. All right. Now that we've gotten that very. I was pretty nervous about that question. Yeah, you didn't know it was coming. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah, we're we're gonna break news <laughs> like you here. Could start off with this, Nate. Yeah, NASCAR and NBC <laughs> podcast. We're just gonna go right for the jugular and start with, like, what does Dave or David Wilson prefer, uh, in terms of his first name basis. Moving on to more uh, weighty subject matter. Uh, two years ago, you gave us a great tour, Dave, of um, the facility in Costa Mesa. Um, and I just did the tour of Salisbury, where you guys have Costa Mesa. You guys have your engine base. Right. Salisbury, you have your uh, is that vehicle dynamics and chassis vehicle chassis base, uh, team support base. Yeah. Um, so at the time that we toured the facility in Costa Mesa, which was two years ago, um, you had said sort of the the acid test for maintaining a base in Southern California because we know that Toad is relocating its North American headquarters to right. to Texas. Uh, the acid test for whether it still make, makes makes sense to have the NASCAR engine base there in Southern California and shipping engines for your Sprint Cup teams all the way to the other coast, thousands of miles, was whether it can still deliver a product as good or better than it could in North Carolina. So I would think that that was two years ago. This was uh, April of 2014. I think we did that tour. So I think that the events of the last year, Kyle Busch Championship, the way you guys have gotten off Daytona 500 win this year, all the, the wins over the last year, where, where do you guys feel like you stand right now, TRD, in terms of how you're situated? It seems like that it still makes sense to have two bases on either side of the country. I tell you what, you so you quoted me, um, correct? <laughs> I remember using the acid test yeah. as a qualifier. And, and arguably, Nate, I think we, we, we probably checked that box um, by winning that championship and by achieving a level of success. Those are the, the tangible markers. I, I tend to look at it um, more holistically and, and, uh, and say that the, the challenge and the reason, one of the reasons why at one point I thought we needed to move to Charlotte. Hmm. Um, when was that? That was that was probably about three, four years ago, and it was and it was because we we were um, challenged to develop a level of partnership, um, trust, confidence with our team partners. I remember going to lunch one day with with Dave Rogers, and and Dave has always been one of our toughest customers, but very fair as well, and. And he explained to me kind of the psychology um, of, of a team environment. And he said, you know, when when they moved the engine builds from from uh, from their place to TRD, 
you know, one of the things that that, that left was this, not a, la- not a doubt, but just an unknown. Mm-hmm. Because as Dave said, you know, when, he, when he's leaving the shop at 10 o'clock at night, you know, he used to be able to hear the, the dyno still running. Right. And it's like, yeah, Mark's on it. He's on it. Kind of and, hear, hard to hear when it's 3,000 yeah, miles away. <laughs> exactly. So yeah. it, it plants a question. Yeah. Um, but, but really what that's saying is that our, our confidence in each other or, or their confidence in TRD was such that there was a question. Mm-hmm. And, and really what I, I didn't know three or four or five years ago if we could bridge that gap figuratively speaking mm-hmm. and and what I can tell you um, very matter-of-factly is we have we we have bridged it and as cliche as it sounds in the end it has been all about the people getting the right people in the right positions um, have you know given us the ability to build a level of trust and confidence in each other you know I like to say that that we're we're so closely aligned now we can finish finish each other's sentences um, again figuratively speaking so so again um, whether or not we ever consolidate our facilities under one roof is is uh, is a big TBD I don't think we need to I don't think it's going to prohibit or compromise our performance and I could argue um, if I wanted to, just the opposite, that by having a big chunk of our resources geographically removed, it protects them. It protects them from the rest of the industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, I could flip that the other way around and saying by having them geographically removed, we're not able to you know, capitalize on the potential of the people in the sh- local Charlotte sure, area sure. either. So. It depends on, on how you want to argue it. The bottom line is is we've we've decided to just put that aside for now, and um, it, at some point down the road we might pick it up and look at it, but it's certainly not a necessity. Yeah, and I guess you know when we hear you mentioned Dave Rogers, who I should say is crew chief currently for Carl Edwards, formerly. Denny Hamlin and Kyle Busch, um, when he says, like, oh, it's, it's reassuring to hear the engines, it's not just that he's hearing it, it's that he knows that, oh, I can just walk down that hallway and talk to somebody, and that's what that's you mean. Right. If you're if you're close to that industry, that's helpful. That, that's yeah. right. And the, and the crew chiefs, you know, that's... The, sometimes, and I don't want to make any generalizations, but they like to have that comfort. They like to have, not the control, but the comfort. Mm-hmm. Um, the... The good news now is that we're performing at a level that they don't worry about it. Mm-hmm. And you know, as an engine builder, you know, there's a there's an oft-use um, saying that sometimes the the biggest compliment is silence mm-hmm. because they they just don't think about the engine, mm-hmm. which means it's doing its job. Um, today, the crazy thing is is um, one of our toughest customers as well from a driver standpoint is Kyle Busch. It's unusual for him to get out of the race car now and not throw a compliment to TRD mm-hmm. and the engines. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, I'm still trying to get used to that. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, given some 
yeah. events post-race. <laughs> just Given a, some radio chatter post-race several years ago. Just a couple. Yeah. Um, just a, just a, but, I can but, understand But it's, that. you know, that, that, again, just means that we're, we're doing what we, what we should be doing. Yeah. And, um, and that it's not top of mind. Um, and that's, you know, again, for an engine builder, that's, that's high praise. Yeah. For, for people who um, probably are, are listening to the podcast and might be more casual NASCAR fans or not know anything about NASCAR, we can just go over this quickly. I know you've d- discussed it ad nauseum, Dave, but the dynamics of, of how it works, um, you have about 50 people at your Salisbury, North Carolina facility, which is just north of the Charlotte area, so driving distance to virtually every Sprint Cup team except for Virtual Row. Um, and then you have about a hundred, about a hundred and eighty, hundred eighty uh, team members in Southern California, and they just they're just engine specific. Only. So so our, our headquarters is there. So all of our infrastructure, you know, our HR, accounting facilities gotcha. group, um, but but principally it's our our engine uh, engineering center. So we have uh, capabilities from design development. Um, we've got a manufacturing operation. You know, we, we machine our our blocks and cylinder heads and manifolds. Um, all of our engine build, um, engine development, our dynos are are there. It's about uh, in total square footage, probably about seventy thousand square feet, roughly. Um, we've got two buildings, um, and and each week you're shipping five engines, uh, one to Denver for furniture racing, and then right. four to Joe Gibbs Racing. Right. And and, uh, and we have people um, planted, you know, literally um, who live at Joe Gibbs Racing, who live at Furniture Racing, that receive the engine, that take care of them. You know, it's, it's kind of a, a total life cycle support. So the team don't have to worry about it. We, we plan it for them. We usually have the engines delivered, you know, um, a, a week or two weeks before oh, the, really? okay. the, the race. Okay. You know, if everything's going as planned. Okay. Yeah. So the plan is that this will probably come out uh, the Wednesday going into Pocono. So for the Pocono race, these teams already would have had the engines ready to go from from Southern California four or five That's days right. earlier. Okay. That's right. Wow. And you you guys do video conferencing, um, how many times a week with the teams to ensure that like the communication is. We on? we don't we don't rarely rarely have to do video conferencing oh, really? anymore. Okay. We okay. you know again we participate. Um, uh, we participate in real time, you know, on the um, engineering front. We we attend the competition meetings uh, every Tuesday morning at Joe Gibbs Racing, and that's that's you know including Furniture Row. Mm-hmm. You know, Martin Truex is there. Cole Pern uh, phones in, uh, but we'll have two or three two or three guys that will attend that meeting. Um, on the on the engine front, it's taken care of, you know, by by the the guys on the ground, and uh, rarely have to to get on any big video conferences right so i guess it's just a, a function of you, you guys have been doing this for so long and you know a nascar fan or again somebody who's not into nascar but looking at it might say hey how how could it possibly work that the the championship manufacturer could be three thousand miles from its sprint cup team and and it's all of its important base operations are not just sprint cup but obviously have Xfinity teams and right. truck teams it just it just works it's, it's <laughs> yeah. well i'd like to, to to downplay it really nate yeah. it's it's not that special yeah. you know arguably nascar is is unique in in motorsports in that there's not another series where essentially the entire team base are are sitting there together so mm-hmm. you know when we were cart uh, racing or indy car racing teams are spread out all over the u.s and sure and and you you ship to where you need to ship and so we're the good news is we have a lot of experience with that 
from from our past uh, motorsports experiences. So it's not anything special. Right. The the competitive disadvantage um, is that there's a delay between when the race is over Sunday afternoon and our ability to get our hands on the engine. Um, and and the importance of that is is the the forensics that goes into the disassembly of every race engine, regardless of whether we have a problem, which which we usually don't. Yeah. You know, from an engineering perspective, it's always it's always important to get that engine apart as soon as possible, to look at the wear, to look to see if we have any um, marginal uh, issues that we need to look at, and uh, and again, not being you know, around the corner from the race team means that we typically don't get that engine apart until Tuesday mm-hmm. rather than Monday. Mm-hmm. Now, on occasion on the West Coast races, we'll literally pull them um, at the track and drive them back, you know, if we're, if we're in Fontana or, or Las Vegas. But for the most part, you know, they've got to be shipped uh, Monday afternoon from the teams. Right, right. And, of course, you know, I'm probably underselling, and there, we, there's so much talk here, I've, I've propagated by Costa Mesa, I'm probably underselling the importance of, of Salisbury and how much, and that, that opened, what, eight or nine years we, ago? We, um, we opened Salisbury in the fall of 2008. 2008, okay. Yeah, and uh, I, I tell you what, with the Salisbury facility, I always say that that first it, it started as much as anything as a, as a tangible demonstration of Toyota's investment and commitment to the sport. You remember, Nate, when we when we came on board um, back in 2004, it was somewhat polarizing mm-hmm. for for the industry, mm-hmm. and there was some doubt as to our long-term commitment. Um, so, so number one, we we needed a physical presence in Charlotte to to be able to support our team, um, our, our our teammates, but we also needed. Um, I think a, a, a demonstration of, of the commitment to the sport. So that's kind of how how Salisbury started. Mm-hmm. And uh, again, I had my first tour there last week, and I was not aware of obviously all the the rigs and suspension help and the the chassis. I mean, essentially, like I know Dave that like a lot of these Cup teams have some of the stuff. And and so therefore it'd probably be like redundant for them to go and use like a, a pull down rig or whatever. Right. But there's there, there was one I can't remember the name of it now. But Tyler showed it to me. Tyler gives them one, the one uh, advanced vehicle corner simulator. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Tell me more about that. I mean, that looks like for long term projects. That's something that Cup teams probably relish having. That, that, that is. Um, so philosophically, again, looking at you know why why do we need this facility? Well, mm-hmm. well, one, we wanted to be able to to invest. You know some, some significant capital expenditures in 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 the tools, and and the, the kind of the philosophy is okay. If we were going to go racing, what are the what are the basic tools we need to go racing? So, you know, all of those tools, you know, the pull down, the the eight post, etc. Those are the, the 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 basics. For certainly for for cup teams, those are pretty standard, mm-hmm. um, but. Not so for truck and Xfinity teams. Um, you you generally will see as many or more of those teams using our facilities, and that that very much went into the philosophy of of how we support the our, our truck partners and Xfinity partners. Um, 
but to, to take it up to the cup level, it's, it's like, okay, you know, where could we invest in what areas could we invest that even at a cup level, the teams may not have the ability to do so. And there's two, two pieces of equipment in particular that um, are, are tangible representations. First is the, the AVCS. This is a, this is, um, it's also known as a, a kinematics and compliance machine. It, it allows you to um, measure the, 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 the compliance, the stiffness of, of the chassis. It allows us to, to measure the, the center of gravity of the, of the car um, and do some, some studies that, that again, are, are very, very um, engineering driven. Um, you would, you know, for, for, a, for a truck and Xfinity team, they, they're not staffed um, typically to use a piece of equipment like that. Mm -hmm. But for our, our cup team partners, it's a very uh, valuable piece of equipment. Because they can have engineers working on projects, like how many months down the road, years down the road? A absolutely. Yeah. And because, yeah. you know, because we don't go racing ourselves, you know, we can have engineers working on, on, um, you know, on these, on these projects. A lot of them won't pan out. Uh -huh. um, you know, in, but in a cup, in a team environment, you can't afford to have guys working on, well, maybe this will work, maybe it won't work. For mm. the most part, you're, you're very, you're much more narrowly focused. Right. Um, not to say that, you know, today we're not working on next year's chassis. The teams are, they, they have to be. Um, but, but again, with, with TRD, we have the, the flexibility to, to put our resources towards towards some some visionary more visionary projects yeah and is it i know you, you can't get into it because it's it's proprietary and, and intellectual property all, all that stuff but like is it, it generally is it like chassis related mostly is it aero is it all of those things yeah, yeah. It, it's all of those things Nate, or, or component related um you know one of the other rigs that you probably saw in there was our calorimeter mm -hmm. um you know this is the rig where we test uh, you know radiators performance of radiators. Yeah, I saw that one. Yep. Um, that's actually a, a relatively new piece of equipment we just commissioned this this year. Okay. And now every single radiator gets run on that. So it's 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 not a just a quality control device, but but it allows us to to um, test and and look at ways we can do better. And that's just, you're just blowing air on a radiator, like, I don't know how many hours a day, just to try to maximize thousands of inches of efficiency in terms of... That's about yeah. how I understand it as okay. well. <laughs> All right. That's what it looked like. Yeah. And I yeah. was like, wow. But, but, it, but if, if you consider, again, you know, how important that is to the performance of a race car, how, you know, if you can improve the cooling, if you can improve the efficiency of, of that process, it translates automatically to more downforce right, right right i mean that is just as simple as it gets and and that's something that 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 we're awful proud of, about because you know with with our engine development um with with um with the work that we're doing with things those kinds of tools we've made a huge gains yeah. in um in in that area yeah let's talk a little about you your engineering background um virginia tech graduate virginia tech uh, class of uh, 1984 okay and uh, how did you find your way into racing? Because back then, obviously, engineering hadn't exploded in NASCAR. 
as as much as it has in the last 15 years. Yeah, it, it was um, an interesting path, Nate. When I when I graduated from high school, um, I knew I knew two things. I I wanted to be an engineer, and um, I wanted to be a soldier. Mm-hmm. Uh, my my family on my father's side go back five six generations of career soldiers, and um, and the U.S. Army offered to pay for my schooling if I would uh, come on board. And I just I just assumed I could do both. I could be an engineer in the Army. Um, and what I what I come to find out, so I graduated with my mechanical engineering degree and, and was commissioned a, a second lieutenant in the regular Army. Um, 101st Airborne. 101st Airborne, Fort yeah. Campbell, Kentucky. And, and I, I realized um, that that they really, they, they, they love the fact that I had the degree and the discipline way of, of thinking that, that you get as an engineer, but they wouldn't let me be an engineer. Mm-hmm. I was going to be a soldier first. Mm-hmm. And, and so I made a, a very difficult personal decision to, um, to leave the service um, after uh, four years. And, um, and I ended up, ended up um, interviewing, head, I was basically headhunted, um, was hired by Johnson & Johnson. And and I moved to um, New Jersey, and worked in a in a manufacturing plant, 24 hours, three you know 365 days a year. I ran a, a crew of mechanics and electricians in in a union plant. Um, to and my job was to to help keep these machines running. Right. And uh, and they put me on a kind of a management trainee program. Arguably, if I didn't get a call one day, I would probably still be at J&J, you know, um, <laughs> doing something. Right. But, um, but what happened about 18 months later, my brother called me and, uh, in my brother, when he was seven years old, he knew he was going to be a race car driver. Um, that didn't pan out for him. Um, but he ended up in the industry and he, at the time he was building engines for this little um, company called TRD and um, Toyota Racing Development. Toyota Racing Development. This was so. This was roughly the fall of 1989 or the summer of 1989. And um, and my brother called me and said, "Listen, we we need some we need some engineering help. Um, we had just started our um, IMSA GTP program with with Dan Gurney, and um, I'm like I." I don't know anything about racing. Mm-hmm. My brother said, "Don't worry about it. Just just come out here." So I flew out to uh, to Southern California and 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 interviewed for the job, and largely on my brother's reputation, they made me an offer on the spot. And two weeks later, I moved all of my worldly possessions, um, which fit in you know the back of a small uh, rental truck, and 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 drove out to Southern California, hmm. and um, and I was the the first um, engineering graduate to, to start at TRD. That was 27 years ago. Um, where did you serve in the 101st airborne? Were you stationed around the globe or, you know what we, we, we did, um, I was stationed at Fort Campbell, Kentucky, but, but the 101st being a rapid deployment force, we, we did exercises, training exercises, um, all over the world. Okay. Now during my stint at the 101st, the U.S. wasn't um, actively engaged in any uh, conflicts, um, 
what what was interesting, Nate, you know, no one, no one, I, I believe, you know, wants to um, go to war per se, but you know, as a soldier, you know, you train for it, and it's kind of like a, I think an athlete who trains for an event. Um, after I got out, I I always wondered, you know, how you know how would you perform, you know, in that environment and. And if you remember back in the early 90s, the first Gulf War incident, mm-hmm. um, I, I considered leaving and rejoining the service. I actually talked to, to my old um, branch manager about it because I, I, I was still on what they call the, uh, the, um, the ready reserves because of the, the level of my commission. Yeah. I could have been recalled. Oh. And and they were starting to recall people, and it right. basically um, last out first in. Right. They're working down this list, and I was wondering, you know, should I take control of my my destiny, huh. or or leave it to chance? And this and was like ninety one. So this was like ninety one. Yeah. Okay. So and, I, and I, you I were just at TRD I was at TRD a wow. couple of years okay. in. Wow. And um, and and I I contemplated me and my old buddy actually who I served with, both made calls, and basically the guys we talked to said, listen, you're 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 far enough down the list. You should just um, chill. So, uh, <laughs> so, so I, I, I chilled and uh, never got the call. The dedication to the service that you were talking about is that obviously generations before you and your family served in what uh, Vietnam. Oh, yeah, my, my, my dad. Uh, my dad was was uh, was in Vietnam. My my grandfather uh, served in, in World War II. Um, you know what, what's funny? All this genealogy today. Um, my my wife is invested. Um, I mean, that that she that's her hobby, and, uh-huh. and so what's cool is I've been able to trace, you know, my my family back, you know, to uh, you know the uh, you know the 1800s, 1700s, and and we we have this line of of um, of service that's I'm proud of. It. It's pretty cool. Yeah, that's neat. Um, so speaking of international travels, um, you, you spend a lot of time in Japan. Um, as, as as part of working for Toyota, and that's obviously their home base. How many, how, how often do you go? Um, I probably go t- uh, two, three, four times a year, depending on uh, depending on the requirement. Okay. Um, I, I love I love uh, visiting Japan. It's a it's a very uh, unique culture. Yes. Um, but I love the food and um, really grown to um, to appreciate the culture. Yeah. Um, well, one of my favorite movies is Lost in Translation, and not to embarrass Dave, but um, before he went kind of more public with his Twitter account, <laughs> one of your original Twitter avatars, I think, was from the movie. That's right. Uh, have you had any Lost in Translation type moments? Channeled your inner Bill Murray when you've been over there <laughs> at all? Uh, you know, so so I, we've had this some of this conversation in the past, Nate. That is. That is truly one of my favorite movies. Yes, and uh, and to this day, um, on the plane to Japan, I try and watch it. Oh, really? You know, it okay. Just yeah, just it's almost <laughs> my own little uh, tradition. Um, and and what what's funny is not not to digress, but we we hosted a group from NASCAR right, on a trip to Japan, mm-hmm. and 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 I advised um, a few of them, hey, you know, because because none of them other than Brent Doerr, had ever been to Japan before. And I said, okay, here's what you need to do first. 
is is rent or buy the movie Lost in Translation and watch that, you know, on the plane or before you, you go and then and see see what you think. Because to me, the, the nuances of that, it's it's the it's the, the operation of the elevators and the noise, the noises of the street mm-hmm. um, so beautifully capture uh, a lot of what you what you see in Japan, the subways and the right. the mania. Um, so uh, the Times Square feel of just kind of like yes, walking around the city. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, it's, it's a it's a pretty neat. Uh... All right. I'll have to keep that in mind for when I make my inaugural visit because I really want to go. I've never been, but obviously having seen that you movie, definitely I'll just have, have to brush to up with there. that. You arrived at TRD um, in, in your current position in an interim role at that time, David, at a pretty challenging time. Um, Lee White had to depart somewhat suddenly um, because of, of family circumstances. Right. And I knew I, that was during a spate of engine failures and near the midpoint of two, the 2013 season while TRD was trying to gain power, reliability right. was tough, and then you went through kind of a down 2014. What was that first year and a half like for you? Well, the, the good news, Nate, is that I had been doing a lot of that job. You know, Lee, Lee was um, very generous in, in allowing me to, um, to do as much as, as I wanted to. And you know, in the role of general manager or, or um, I forget what my title was, senior vice president. You know, for, for me, I thought my job was to, to make my boss, you know, have as little as he wanted to do. Right. And so I, I, I gravitated um, to that right away, and uh, and I, I, I started um, getting. You know, immersing myself with with our team partners and building relationships with NASCAR. So, you know, having the the, the, the title really for me wasn't a significant change. Mm-hmm. It 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 certainly was um, some added pressure that went along with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, but it was I was very uh, uh, grateful that my you know management team that Lee supported. In, me in in the opportunity. So those were those were trying days, Nate. And, and you know it was just 2012 when when TRD um, started building Joe Gibbs Racing Engine. So when when right. we started our partnership, you know they had a completely vertic- vertically uh, integrated operation. They built all their engines under roof. But 2012, NASCAR um, introduced electronic fuel injection, mm-hmm. and at the same time. The, the industry um, had had grown and the cost of development had grown to the point that if you weren't um, if you didn't have a base of business of engine building business large enough to invest in engine development it became very difficult to keep up and that's kind of where where JGR was mm-hmm. you know in that they never took on a kind of a customer base um, so, so they they made the decision. One of the toughest decisions, if you talk to to Coach or Jimmy Maycar, that that they had to to make because you know taking that that control out of their hands was was um, was was certainly difficult. So that put another level of pressure on TRD, and and again we 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 stumbled. I'll never forget uh, two thousand and. Was it 2012 or 13 when we went to the Daytona 500? We 
we just killed lead from the start. It was our first year with Matt Kenza. Yeah, as a matter of fact. 13. Yeah, and, I remember it. And I, I think we blew five out of seven engines or something. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it it was not the way to start a season. Yeah. Um, so a lot of um, a lot of work, um, a lot of work to um, to to recover. That was that was when I did a lot of media <laughs> for all the wrong reasons. <laughs> well, that was uh, Kansas, Kansas win at Kansas with the uh, yes. the violation there. Yes, you made an unwanted media tour around yes. the daily shows of NASCAR. Yes, I'm sure, exactly. But I think you acquitted yourself quite well. Um, Here's something you said that I found interesting, Dave. At that time, you said um, when when Toyota was dealing with the with the engine um, reliability versus power issues, you said clearly in this formula in the point system, a DNF because of an engine failure has greater penalty than a win has benefit. As an engineer, I wish there was a higher premium for a win, and then you can get more aggressive. So that was pre-Chase revamping. Yes. That was 2013. Yes. As as the revamping of the playoffs helped, I guess, in changing that trade-off for the better. You know what? It it definitely has changed the mentality. Yeah. Um, the the fact is, you you can afford um, to to get a little more aggressive. You can you can afford a DNF. It's it's not going to um, uh, to hurt you unless you're in the chase. Now, mm-hmm. once you're in the chase window, that's a different story. But uh, I don't know that it's something that we consciously think about um, Nate you know if you look at if you you look at the industry as a whole and and look at the engine reliability in 2013 versus 2016 it's it's much better as a whole you know team by team manufacturer by manufacturer it's very you know engine failures are very uncommon Mm -hmm. Um, and I think uh, I think that's that's um, a testament to the, the, the industry getting better as a whole, getting getting our hands on. I think some of it has to do with the, you know, with with the gear rule, and and we're not we're not turning them as as fast as we used to. Um, but but I like I like this this new format because we, you know we we can um, push it if if we want to. We can we can be uh, you know kind of strategic in in how we approach engine development. Another part of that, Dave, is obviously the, the field expanded to 16 drivers, and you've been on record a few times saying is that Toyota wants to put more drivers in that funnel because you know that it's, the more drivers you have, the better chance you're going to have somebody in the in the final four. Um, when Lee was uh, Lee White was in, in charge of TRD, he often talked about positioning Toyota to have about a quarter of the field when there were four manufacturers. Right. Um, and now, obviously, there's there's three manufacturers. How how many drivers does Toyota see as optimum for having in the Sprint Cup Series in its fold and and how much can you do with that now with the new charter system in terms of maneuvering yeah. and you have 40 cars as opposed to 43 before how do you see all that it's um there, there's not a I don't think there's a, a simple formula uh, Nate I think the, the the basic arguably the the basic math is still the same so as one of three manufacturers um you know, we'd aspire to have roughly uh, a third of the field. Having said that, I think the other thing that we've we've come to really appreciate is that um, quality quality organizations, quality drivers, go a lot further than 
than just having numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, really, I think where the numbers become important is starting the chase. And of those 16 um, chase candidates, you know, we'd, we'd really like to have five or six. Right. Um, you know, this year we're, we're, we're fortunate enough to have five more or less um, locked in and, and, and locked in early. And, um, and that's, you know, that's, um, that's good. Mm-hmm. I, and I, I don't, you know, at this point, I'd, I'd like to have a couple more. Yeah. And, and it's something that, that we're looking at, you know, certainly we, I think, recently been talking a lot about our driver development um, engagement. Right. And, and ultimately, the, the, the pinnacle of that, the, the graduation for a driver development program is a seat at the cup level. Right, and 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 currently, um, we're um, we're looking at the future and and love to see some growth, you know, out of Furniture Row. Um, there there could be there could be other, you know, team um, candidates as, as well. Yeah, it, it, that leads right into my next uh, topic here, David. The next question was your counterpart counterpart at Ford this week, Dave Persek said they're looking more at driver development than ever. And I know that like in the past, manufacturers, I think, viewed this as like a team issue 10 years ago. But now it's clear that you, Ford, I'm sure Chevy is, is looking at this. Everybody is trying to position themselves for the developmental driver ranks. You need to find a place for Eric Jones and Christopher Bell and right. Rico, all those people. Um, how is it, how do you, and, you know, and obviously the lessons of Kyle Larson still being sure. fresh because he was in your camp at one point. How, how does this... Uh, all work together and, and again yeah. with the charter system like is it is it working out as you yeah. intended in terms of plan for the future well I think we'll know a lot more in two or three years but 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 stepping back Nate um, we used to our mentality used to be you know drivers are, are teams responsibly my, my, my old boss you know Lee White yeah you used to, to be very you know almost militant and then cite you know all the examples of you know Jeff Gordon was a Ford guy and, right Casey Kane and yeah and um, and a lot of you know trail of, of tears um, we have you know Toy- Toyota has taking a different look and and we don't um, we, we, we don't feel like driver development is simply a team responsibility I I mean part of it is I think as a as a stakeholder in the sport that we have a, a social responsibility to invest and these young young um, men and women or kids um, in in their in their um, development. Uh, so, from a competitive standpoint, um, we we certainly believe that it's it's smart um, mm-hmm. and and it's something that you know we 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 don't have a driver development department department Nate. We're kind of doing this on the fly, but. We've developed some neat relationships along the way. You know, Keith Coons and Pete Willoughby uh, want, run one of the, the best USAC midget teams um, in the country. We, you know, we have a partnership with the Venturinis, with with Bill McAnally, um, all of these places that you know have the the resources and are are equipped to put these kids in the best equipment where they are racing. So. Mm-hmm. We're we're starting to, to mature this, and we kind of, you know, have this ladder system where where these these kids can can keep climbing, climbing given their um, you know their continued uh, 
uh, potential. So the, uh, you know, someone, someone asked me um, just, just a little while ago, what, what keeps me awake at night? And, and some of it has to do with, we're, we're doing such a good job, you know, in the junior ranks, how in the world are we going to keep yeah. enough seats underneath them? Cause that's, you know, in the end, you know, it works as long as you can keep Toyota, you know, um, equipment underneath them at every step of the way. Right. And, and honestly, Nate, part of, part of the thing that you, that we have to accept is we won't be able to, right. You know, we just yeah. won't, we, we have, the pipe is too packed yep. and, and, and arguably we'll, we'll lose some along the way, but, but, but in the end, that's, that's okay. Yeah. That's okay. The, the sport still benefits mm-hmm. and it gets back to, you know, having this, you know, social responsibility. Now, now hopefully we will, um, we will do a good enough job to, to keep the, you know, what we judge to be the, the special ones. Well, Furniture Row certainly gives you an opportunity now to, to make that happen. One car team that seems yes. like it has room for growth, provided the charter thing works, works well. Um, and my question there, Dave, is like, obviously, I don't think there were a lot of questions because they, they made the Final Four with Truex last year, but how did that work so seamlessly um, with them and JGR together when, not to put too fine a point on it, it worked so poorly <laughs> with MWR and JGR trying to get them to play nice together? Why, why did yeah. it work well this time? Well, um, uh, part of my answer is I'm, I'm, I'm not completely surprised. I'm... I'm a little surprised at how well and how quickly it, it's worked. Uh, you know, Joe Gibbs Racing. You know, part of part of why they are so good mm-hmm. is because they they are militant about maintaining control of their IP. Um, they um, and this isn't a this this isn't a criticism, but they typically don't play nice mm-hmm. with with others because because they believe that would compromise their their ability to to maintain control of that. You know, to your question about MWR, Nate, I, I think part of that has to do with the fact that, that MWR at the outset invested in their own engineering group. They invested in, you know, building their own cars. You know, one of the principal differences between them and Furniture Row Racing is, is Barney Visser never went down that path. Mm-hmm. You know, since, since they've been competing, they've been acquiring their their cars from partners and their engines from partners and and it lets them focus on you know on the racecraft and and on and taking their engineering resources and making a, a, a good product better yeah uh, so but but we as you as you as you alluded to we tried for years right to bring MWR and, and Joe Gibbs racing closer and we we got them closer yeah but you know, as you know, as a manufacturer, we couldn't mandate it. We could mm-hmm. help facilitate it mm-hmm. and encourage it, um, but we we never achieved the level of of integration partnership that we had hoped to. Yeah. Uh, with with furniture racing, um, honestly, I, the, the first piece was just the chemistry, that the, the, the Barney Visser and and Joe Gibbs. I was going to say the top down worldviews. Yes, they're much more in that, sync. Probably, absolutely. Huh? I yeah. mean, I remember yeah. our first dinner together. Yep. And and you could just tell these these guys had a level of respect for each other. Yep. Um, they have you know the similar values. Right. They're both very spiritual. Right. And um, and it started with that 
comfort level and and from there as you say they they, they push it down through the organization mm-hmm. um, so I think um, I, I still say we're 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 in our honeymoon period yeah it, it's very early we'll have some bumps along the way no doubt um, but but I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic All right. I have two more for you one's big picture one's rather irreverent we'll start with the big picture one um, I've asked this to Tim Sindrick. I think I asked this to Ducart. I asked this to Roger Penske. Um, kind of a big picture, you know, where is auto racing going, Dave, in terms of, um, you know, what's the most important factor in maintaining relevance? And we hear so much about manufacturers involved in racing because right. relevance to the production models is, is key. So, and then we also hear about um, kids these days aren't, aren't interested in getting driver's license at 16 and, um, that, that that might be a challenge for automobile manufacturers and trying to figure out how to market right. to that younger generation. Not that they're not going to drive cars, right? But um, what does auto racing, I guess, need to do to maintain its place on the American sports landscape? You know, giving that if, if kids aren't interested in driving cars and if selling cars is a big part of like the equation for manufacturers being involved in racing, how do you get them interested in racing and make all that equation work together? Well, you you definitely hit the, the, the challenge on, on the head, Nate. It's, it's how do we continue to grow um, the, the, the fan base because arguably, you know, a lot of the, you know, NASCAR's current fans are, are, are literally dying off. Right. And, and, if, and if we collectively don't figure that out, then, then we'll be in trouble down the road. And I think the, the key point there, it's we. It's not NASCAR's problem mm-hmm. by themselves. This is, this is our collective a problem and 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 the good news is that unlike when we came in the sport we we feel like we are partnered with NASCAR and 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 NASCAR um, is leaning on all the manufacturers to help them with this problem because it you, you could say it's it's an extension you you know if we don't keep young people driving cars if they're not willing to do that they're not willing to buy cars then, right. then we're in trouble right right so right. it's it's some of the same you know overlap in terms of, of of challenge now the um the other good news is everyone's eyes are wide open no one's hiding from it mm-hmm. um, nascar continues to demonstrate that they're not afraid to try things um i think one of the big initiatives that we're collectively working on now is is how to take the format, the, the the entertainment, and and engage the fans um, who will not just sit in front of a television, whether it's watching football or racing. They're going to sit with another device, sometimes two devices, you know, multi-screen. Right. So you know, how do we? Whether it's using features of the electronic dash, um, being able to, you know, sit in Kyle's seat. As he's driving the car, um, you know, is is there a is there a gaming uh, crossover that 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 is is a potential? Um, all of those things are are things that that we're thinking about and and working on, and uh, and and I do I do believe that um, the end is not near. It's <laughs> good to know <laughs> the sky is not falling. Okay. Yeah. Right. And that will 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 continue to uh, 
to get better on that front. Okay, well, it's good that that weighty issue is being addressed. Here's another one. Uh, we started with figuring out Dave or David. So here's another invasive <laughs> personal question to end on. How many, uh, for a guy who lives in Southern California, who has operations to tend to in North Carolina, who has a 36 race schedule that is uh, around the country and is his primary focus and has people he has to visit and answer to in Japan, how many frequent flyer miles <laughs> per year? Um, I am, well, I, I just, uh, I think last year, got my two two millionth uh, birthday card from <laughs> from united airlines um, i think I'm, I'm averaging about a, a quarter of a million a, wow. a year right now nate it's, okay it's uh it's pretty crazy it, it's a it's a it's a tough um sometimes a tough quality of life because i would say even even more pertinent is is how many nights, and that's what my wife keeps track of. And, uh, <laughs> Not just Marriott and Hilton, but your wife no, is also exactly. on top of that. And, and, yeah. and, and last year it was over two hundred um, wow. away yeah. from from home. So, uh, but that's you know ultimately I, I actually love uh, love what I do, and, and I'm very very fortunate to be in this position. Yeah, well, you do a great job with it. Always appreciate your time. One of my favorite movies, by the way, besides Lost in Translation, Up in the Air. So you're my hero on the Ryan Bingham, George Clooney <laughs> front as well. Um, always a pleasure talking with you, Dave. Thank you for giving me so much of your time. Always insightful. Really appreciate it. Great. Thanks for having me, Nate. Enjoyed it. I'll admit it. Those of us who travel the NASCAR circuit tend to wear our frequent traveler status like badges of honor, whether it's airlines or hotels. I'll plead guilty on being a lifetime platinum member of Marriott. But it also can take a toll on home life. Spending 200 nights annually in hotels isn't easy, so I'm sure it makes all the success that much sweeter for Toyota Racing Development and the many members of its traveling crew this year. Again, our thanks to David Wilson for being here and to Toyota PR rep Lisa Hughes-Candy for making it happen despite some reschedulements. Thanks to Tess Quinlan for producing the NASCAR NBC podcast. This episode and all of the rest, again, are available on Audioboom, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, and a plethora of other smartphone apps. You also can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes for automatic downloads of new episodes. Also check out those places for the NBC Sports podcast lineup for more content. There's the uh, podcast with Joe Posnanski, Pro Basketball Talk, College Basketball Talk, Roto World, Certainly many great options for listening to NBC Sports Podcasts. And now there's even one more. The Tara and Johnny Podcast begins today, Wednesday, July 27th. That's NBC Sports Analysts and figure skating stars, Tara Lipinski and Johnny Weir, talking about hot topics at the intersection of pop culture, sports, and fashion. I know I'll be listening. I was a fan of theirs uh, when I watched the Winter Olympics a couple of years ago. Uh, Tara Lipinski and Johnny Weir do a great job. They're also going to be NBC Olympic correspondents during the Rio Games uh, next month. So be sure to check that out and also listen to their new Tara and Johnny podcast beginning today. If you have ideas for guests, suggestions, questions for the NASCAR and NBC podcast, please send me feedback on Twitter at Nate Ryan. Always interested in hearing what people liked and what else they'd like to hear in the program. Thanks again for listening to the NASCAR NBC podcast. We appreciate you listening. Hope you enjoyed it. I'm Steve Letarte, STP auto expert and former crew chief. 
I know what it takes to keep engines performing at their best. STP's latest breakthrough additive, STP Ultra 5-in-1 Plus Fuel System Cleaner Plus Fuel Stabilizer delivers three times the amount of cleaning agents versus premium gasoline and helps keep fuel fresh during storage. For over 60 years, STP has been on the cutting edge developing products to help engines run better, longer. One bottle contains three times by weight the amount of cleaning agents compared to 20 gallons of the leading premium gasoline. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.